The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. Thank goodness the Royals are now out of San Francisco. They're back to KC because that place was an absolute buzzsaw. A palace of horrors the last two nights for the Royals as they get drilled again tonight in Game 5 of the 2014 World Series. What's up? It's Davo on your dish right here on Clubhouse Conversation as we've been every single night since late April this year, meeting up once again to discuss a Royals post game. Kind of sad, by the way. I'm realizing we're down to probably our last two or three editions of the dish for this year. So it's been a lot of fun this year. Hopefully we still have a couple more to go with much more positive tones in the last two because the third from the last tonight just a complete drubbing, five to nothing. I mean, this game may have well have been ten nothing or fifteen nothing. Because did you ever feel like the Royals were a part of this game? I didn't. I mean, once you get down one nothing in that second inning, I don't want to say the game was over because that's not true. But when you got down one nothing, and and the fact of, of how that run scored off of the normally sure-handed Alcides Escobar not coming up with the ball, which he does probably what. 39 out of 40 times at least. I'm not going to quite say 99 out of 100. It was a tough play. But it's a makeable play. Borderline error. I'm fine with the official score giving that one a hit. But didn't you almost just feel like when the Royals got down one nothing off of a bad play by their defense that we were pretty much in trouble, especially after just an 11-pitch first inning against Madison Bumgarner? The crowd was in it. It just, I don't know, it just kind of seemed like, I don't know. I, I mean, I, tonight I was not in the park, so. But it, it seemed kind of like the, the energy from the Royals wasn't there tonight. Like, maybe they were mentally listening to the hype, led by Joe Buck, who seriously, honestly, might have a thing for Madison Bumgarner. Not not trying to be funny, being serious about that. But, I mean, the last two nights, more on that here in a little bit, the last two nights the Royals were outscored 15 to nothing in the final 15 innings of these two games. 15 to nothing run is how the Giants closed out games four and game five. Yeah, it's a good thing we're out of there because the Royals probably weren't going to win there again. So thankfully we're back in KC. We can't get to the friendly confines of Kauffman Stadium soon enough. I think we can all agree on that. So uh, the pitching by KC, let's start with James Shields. I predicted last night right here that he would go seven innings, two runs, and he did pretty much exactly what I thought he would. Actually, was better than that. Should have been six innings, no runs, had Escobar made the play that we mentioned in the second and, and also a later one. But as it turned out, Shields goes six innings, which I thought was a good start for him. Six innings, two runs on eight hits with four Ks and a walk. That's the official line. But again, if Escobar makes a couple of plays behind him, that's six innings, no runs on six hits with four Ks and a walk. And that's also noting that, yes, the defense was bad. We'll talk about a couple other plays here in a second. But there was a spectacular play turned in by Lorenzo Kane. We can't forget that in the bottom of the fifth inning off the bat of Hunter Pence. Complete line shot to the right field gap that's probably a triple plus two RBIs for the Giants if Kane doesn't make that play. So I guess on one hand, you could look at it and say, well, you know, maybe the two was fair because, but I don't know. I don't look at it that way because Kane and the Royals outfields have been making those plays all year. The bottom line is if you're going to beat Madison Bumgarner, especially on the road in the World Series, you have to play flawless defensively. So if Kane makes that play and Escobar makes the other two plays, it's a whole different ball game. A lot of things change in this one. But you know what? Again, I'm not going to be a Baltimore Orioles player 
or a Baltimore Orioles fan. I'm not going to blame it on bloops and errors and say that we're the better team. And you know what? We lost. We got beat. That's what happens in baseball. Sometimes the other team beats you, and you just accept it. It's not all the Royals' fault. It's not all Nedio's fault. Sometimes, believe it or not, the other team does beat you. So that's where we're at tonight. We're, we're going to lose with grace if we lose this thing. That's how I look at it. So give the Giants credit. So Alcides Escobar, let's talk more about the defensive shortcomings. There was a play from Kane, but yeah, the, the throwing error he had, plus the two more plays that could have been you know, considered an error, at least one of them for sure. And that's obviously a glowing recognition of how good he is defensively. The fact that those plays, when they're not made, and it, it was interesting hearing the announcers never really even commented on how Shields got some bad luck from his defense. I mean, they kind of said, oh, tough play, Escobar makes that. I mentioned it one time, and that was it. I mean, it, us people that watch the games every day that have seen this team play going on 180 times this year plus spring training, we know Escobar makes that play almost every single time, and, and we know how this team is. So th- those were huge plays. Of course, they didn't have time to talk about them since they were talking about Hunter Pence and Madison Bumgarner so much, but that's a different story. So besides those two, though, it's not just Escobar tonight. Gerard Dyson, two horrible defensive plays. It's, he's so hit or miss out there in center field. You, I, you can't trust him in game six or seven. You've got to go back to Kane and center and Aoki and right for sure. Cannot trust Dyson after tonight. I mean, we've seen him. He, he's kind of like sink or swim out there. He's, it's weird because to me, Dyson, to me, Kane had kind of a defensive slump, and so did Hosmer, and so did Escobar. I mean, this team's kind of had a few defensive slumps this year. Remember Escobar around the All-Star break? Had a couple mental errors right afterwards, a couple bad plays. Hosmer had a stretch there of about 10 games where he was making errors left and right. Even Moose did. Kane had a couple and Dyson especially, the last few years. I mean, normally I don't remember Royals players having defensive slumps, quote-unquote, but Dyson's one of those guys that seems to make a number of really good plays in a row and get hot out there, and then he'll just fumble ground balls to him. He'll miss cutoff men. And it was just ugly tonight. I mean, let's talk about that second inning. So first and second, nobody out, and then the balls hit the center field. Off the bat of Travis Ishikawa, and then Hunter Pence tags up, head, heads up, goes to third. Brandon Belt goes to second. If Gerard Dyson makes an accurate throw, Brandon Belt is dead at second base. Of course, not one mention of that by the announcers, but if you watch the games, he's dead by three to five feet. He's there by the ball's there by a half second. He's just starting his slide at the ball's on target from Dyson. And that's a huge added second base if he makes that play. That's the second out right there if that's played. The ground ball that followed, the run still wouldn't have scored. So that's not even counting the Escobar misplay. That was another defensive misplay on top of that. If either of those two plays are made, a run doesn't score there for Shields. So you've got to be able to make that throw. That ball had to have been 20 feet off, worth Infante having to run over towards the six hole to, to pick that one off. And then later we saw Gerard Dyson bumble away a single in that bottom of the fourth. Brandon Crawford singles with two outs. Pablo Sandoval, I, I don't know. He was, he was sent home by the third base coach, but he did pause for a second. So if Dyson comes up throwing cleanly, I believe Sandoval stops and or I believe it's a damn close play at the plate. But Dyson bumbles it again like we've seen him do a handful of times this year at least. So that's two defensive misplays by Dyson, two by Escobar. And, yes, Kane did save the Royals a couple of runs. So if you want to be a glass half full, maybe you just say, well, it evened out because baseball mistakes even out usually. But if you're going to look at it with the glass half empty and look at it as going for the jugular and knowing that we have no margin for error when we go up against Madison Bumgarner, those plays have to be made, and they weren't. Simple as that. Now, the Royals' bullpen for a second straight night was also not airtight. Although, and, and I normally don't do this, but I'll, I'll put the blame for that on Ned Yost, and I'll tell you why. Ned Yost, somebody I back probably 
24 out of 25 decisions he makes. I think there have been a couple of horrible mis- mistakes, most notably Donovan Ventura in the wild card game, pinch hitting Raul Abanez in that middle game against the Tigers on that Saturday afternoon at the K. The Johnny Gomes incident in Boston. There, there's a good three to five obvious, horrible, even at the time, non-2020 mistakes he made that that were obvious before they even happened. And that happened again tonight. It Did it cost the Royals a game? No, not at all. I'm not going to go there. But let's talk about it. Why do I why do I blend the, bull, the bullpen shortcomings on Nendios tonight? Well, he brings in Kelvin Herrera, got the job done on the seventh. Good move. But then... That's the bottom of the seventh. The Royals come up at the top of the eighth with a runner on base. He doesn't pinch hit Butler or Willingham, decides to let Infante and Moose hit there, which is fine. But if you're going to take Infante out anyways after that half inning, why don't you go to one of your bigger bats? Now, I, I, that's unfair because Infante was really good yesterday. I, uh, that's Okay, that's that's kind of an unfair point. I'll take that one back. But I'm kind of going to go over it. So let, let's start over here. So Herrera comes in. Fine. Bottom of the seventh. Top of the eighth. My point is if you're going to take Omar Infante out of the game, if you're going to ultimately Nedios double switched, if you missed or didn't understand it, ultimately he double switched, brought in Jason Nix, who could play second or third, so that Kelvin Herrera could throw a second inning. God knows why. So, my point being, you don't pinch hit there for Infante, but the left on left with Moose up before that against Bumgarner, if you're going to, if you're going to bring in Nix, who plays second and third, why don't you pinch hit there for Moose with Willingham or Butler? Butler's owned him in his career. Runner on base, if you're going to take him out anyway. So that's the first problem with it. The second problem is the whole theory is flawed in the first place. At the end of that inning, coming up in the eighth inning, you then have the eight hole, the nine hole, and the leadoff hitter. So Nedios double switches so that Jason Nix hits in the pitcher spot. Jason Nix, the guy who's 0 for since coming over from the Royals, the guy who hasn't had a base hit since mid-August, the guy who... Not joking, I would rather have Jason Vargas up there hitting. Like, he's that bad. So Ned Yost does all of this to ensure that Kelvin Herrera, who throws a clean inning there in the seventh, you've got a fresh Wade Davis, who only threw about a dozen pitches in, in the first game in San Francisco, didn't pitch at all yesterday. You've got a fresh Holland. You've got a fresh Jason Frazier if it goes extra, as you can always go to Duffy if it goes to 12, 13 innings. Why would you bring out Kelvin Herrera for the second inning? Not surprisingly, he was bad. He's 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 been shaky the last couple of outings when he goes more than three outs. He didn't do that hardly at all this year. Now it's like every outing he does that. Like, like you had Wade Davis fresh for the eighth. You didn't need two innings out of Calvin Herrera tonight. You probably weren't going to have a bottom of the ninth. If you did, the game's tied. Then you go Wade Davis for a second inning if that does happen. Then in the tenth inning, you've got, you know, you've still got plenty of guys. You've got Jason Frazier out there. You've got Duffy, and you've got Holland if you get a lead. Like, why would you stretch out Kelvin Herrera, who's been ineffective in his second inning? He's trying to throw his arm out? The poor guy threw, what, 30 pitches a couple days ago, uh, more than an inning today, and then you're going to need him again for two more games. I mean, you don't pitch him down two, three runs for more than one inning when you've got a fresh Davis, Holland, Frazier out there. And especially to, to, to give Jason Nixon at bat. With six outs to go, you're going to give one of your six outs down two to Jason freaking Nix, who had two at-bats while we were in San Francisco. Billy Butler had one and Josh Willingham zero. Jason Nix had the most pinch hit at-bats of anybody in the San Francisco series out there in the, in the three-game portion at AT&T Park. You explain that one. Wow. I mean, that, that was a horrible move by Ned Yost. Before it happened, I, I was like, what? And surely I'm misunderstanding this. I still don't understand it. 
And I heard his explanation after the game. Well, we wanted to have Herrera available for a couple of innings, a couple of innings in case that we came back and tied it. What? So you're saying you're playing for extra innings, okay? But you could pitch Wade Davis two innings if you had to. You still have an off day tomorrow, eighth and ninth. You've got Jason Frazier for tenth. You still got Holland. Not to mention, do you really believe you're going to come back down two with six outs to go with Jason Nix an automatic out for one of those six? You weren't coming back. So that was just a horrible move. Again, it didn't cost them the game. Another move I'm okay with Yost tonight was in the second inning, not bringing the infield in. You heard the announcers roast him for that, which I did not really understand. You don't want to show panic to your team. You want to. Be- I believe that was more of Yost saying, I believe you guys are going to score some runs tonight. We're not going to psych you out and, and pull the infield in with runners in the second, third, and one out. Because I mean, I do agree with him on one hand. If, if they shoot a single through there, if Crawford does, that's t- it's two to nothing. That second run's big in the second inning. Then, then you kind of start feeling many defeated. So I think it was more of a mental thing, to, to, you know, as far as keeping the attitude of the Royals up by keeping the infield back. I'm fine with that. Now, as things turned out, Crawford did a slow roll to second, or they could have cut down the runner at home. So it would have been a good time to bring the infield in. That's 2020. That's you know hindsight is what that is. So I'm not going to criticize Joe for that because I was fine with him keeping the infield back there. I thought it was bad to bring it in last night. I didn't understand that, but. I'm fine with that tonight. So there's my, you know, the defense was bad, and Ned Yost was bad tonight. The other thing about poor Wade Davis, the other reason I get back to the bullpen, why I blame Wade Davis' struggles, we didn't have time to start a clean inning, or he didn't have time. He didn't start a cleaning, clean inning, A, and B, he didn't have time to do his normal warm-up. He came in with runners on base, but he's probably done, what, three or four, five times max all year. You rush him in there. Just, just, just horrible strategy by Ned Yost. I, I don't get it. Offensively for the Royals, just I mean, this tells you all you need to know. There's two stats. No walks, eight strikeouts. 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position. The Royals only had two runners making a second base tonight with no walks. Eight strikeouts. I, I give 90% of that to Bumgarner. Yeah, he was that good. Four hits, eight strikeouts, shutout. Bad night for the Royals all around. Thank God they're out of San Francisco. So where do we sit right now? It's easy to feel very down and... And, and, and to wonder, can the Royals come back from this? I mean, I feel like a lot of the positive mojo we had going, especially with the fan base, has kind of gone. So the good thing is we have an off day tomorrow, first of all. I believe this Monday off day is huge for the Royals. I do. Gives them time to get home. They'll get back to KC about 4 o'clock in the morning on Monday, sleep in, get out to the park at their afternoon workout, get back, get a good night's sleep Monday night, wake up Tuesday. You've had a full day and a half to kind of recuperate. The fans come out jazzed up on Tuesday. They can get over this by then. The bottom line is the Royals still only have to win two games in a row. That's not that hard to do. And there will be no Madison Bumgarner at all in Game 6 and no more than three innings of him in Game 7. So look at it that way. The next 18 innings, you're probably going to get Madison Bumgarner three of the next 18. That gives you plenty of chances to score runs against the Giants. Not to mention you could still score one or two off of him. He's not He's not God himself. He, he you know He's not invincible. So... That's one positive thing to think about. Now, what chances do I give us of winning? I've gotten a few tweets at Royals Clubhouse. Thank you to Mike Douglas, to John Hall as well. I mean, what chances do I give us of pulling this off? 40%. I'd say it's 40-60 right now. Obviously, if you're a betting man, you're taking the Giants. They're up 3-2. to you know, but, but we're the home team in the last... You know, nine games in game six and seven, the home team has won eight of those nine games. 
And the Royals do have a clear pitching edge with your Donovan Ventura and Jake Peavy on Tuesday. I do like them a Jeremy Guthrie against Tim Hudson on Wednesday. And, and Wednesday is kind of an all-hands-on-deck game. It's probably three innings of Jeremy Guthrie, you know, a, a couple innings of James Shields, and then, you know, Finnegan, Herrera, Davis, Holland, if it goes extras, Duffy or Vargas. I mean, you've got – and same thing for the Giants. It's probably three innings of Hudson, and then, you know, Petit we'll see, I'm sure, and – you know, Bumgarner, I imagine Bumgarner is probably slated for like the fifth, six, seven, six, seven, eight in that game seven, no matter what the score is, because there's no tomorrow at that point. Unless the Giants are getting totally blasted or are totally blasted in the Royals, I'm sure we'll see Madison Bumgarner in game seven. Now, well, let's focus on game six, though. We can't get ahead of ourselves and get to game seven because we got to win game six. Ventura. And PV, what's the key? The key is to come out and score some runs. You've been outscored 15 nothing. You need Ventura to be good early. You really do. You need a few scoreless innings, four innings of one-run ball. I believe the Royals will be able to score three, four runs off of Jake Peavy. And I don't. Th- I think he'll be in a short leash, but I think they'll let him go at least four innings. They'll want at least four innings out of him because they won't want to burn their entire bullpen in Game Six before a, a potential, you know, heavyweight clash in Game Seven. So get three or four runs off of Peavy. Get, just get a lead in Game Six. You got the home crowd behind you. If the Royals can get a lead and play some good baseball, just play good, clean baseball. Make the plays defensively. Don't walk guys and get a, you know get a couple runs in. I think their mojo will come back. The fans will carry them to a win. I believe the Royals will win Game Six, and if they do, it becomes a fifty-fifty proposition in Game Seven at that point, because the starting pitchers are almost inconsequential in Game Seven. Neither of the starting pitchers in Game Seven are going more than three, four innings. Now, of course, one could completely fall apart. What I'm saying is one could lose you a game, but they ain't going to win a game. It's going to come down to all the X factors, your James Shields versus Bumgarner, because there's a good chance Shields will pitch in game seven if it goes seven, a couple innings. Good chance we'll see Wade Davis two innings, Herrera two innings, Holland two innings. I mean, everybody's available two innings. So, I mean, they, they could even just go a bullpen game if they really wanted to. I mean, you could put James Shields out there for two or three innings, start the game. You know, go an inning or two of Frazier or Finnegan and then just go all Davis, Herrera, and Holland with your extra inning guy as Vargas or Duffy. The Royals could do that. They could make that almost a bullpen game on Wednesday. But let's get, let's get through Tuesday first. Let's get a win on Tuesday. You know, stay up, Royals fans. Uh, you know, we can definitely come back. I thought it was interesting seeing the comparison of, I believe it was the 0-2 Angels who were down 3-2 to two to the Giants. The exact same pattern as this series. They lost game one at home. They won game two at home, won game three on the road, and then lost games four and five at AT&T Park in San Francisco. Same exact thing. It wasn't 0-2. Was it 0-2? What year was that? I think it was 0-2. But they came back and won game six and seven at home against the Giants. So it's almost, if you look it up, it's eerily similar. Of course, the Cardinals series in 85, we did it. So my point is, this, this is not David and Goliath right now. This is not a major upset if the Royals come back. If the Royals win game six, at that point, it's a coin flip. So get through game six, which I believe they will, because they do have the pitching matchup. They're playing at home. I believe we'll see a better effort. I believe the Royals are due to score some runs, aren't they? After not scoring the last 15 innings, I would think they'll score some runs in game six. So I'm kind of just blabbing at this point. Who knows if you're even still listening to this, but go Royals, and we'll talk to you again late Tuesday night. Hopefully we'll talk to you two more times this year as far as the dish goes. We have year-round coverage here on Clubhouse Conversation, and we'll continue to have weekly interviews throughout the entire offseason of former Royals players, and occasional current Royals will come up as well. But So this site will continue to be updated year-round of Royals baseball, but hopefully we have two more nightly dishes here for the 2014 campaign and a happy one 
on Tuesday night. Go Royals and have a great night.